this is Dr. Mark Rohenna, and today we'll be mapping the oral microbiome on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with Dr. Mark Berhenna. Dr. Berhenna, DDS, is the author of the number one bestseller, The 8-Hour Sleep Paradox, and is a sleep medicine dentist in Sunnyvale, California. Dr. Berhenna has been practicing dentistry in the greater San Francisco area for over 30 years. He is a TEDx speaker and his advice regularly appears on media outlets like CNN, CBS, Yahoo Health, The Huffington Post, Prevention, The Washington Post, and Men's Health. Dr. Berhenna is a member of the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine, Academy of General Dentistry, American Academy for Oral Systemic Health, and Dental Board of California. This conversation is so good, you're going to want to tune in for future episodes where I host Dr. Berhenna back on the podcast. Dr. B, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for having me. Look forward to it. I am super excited to talk about the oral microbiome. And I've heard you say that there are over 700 different species of bacteria in the mouth. What's the main function of these bacteria and the oral microbiome? It's a good question. And again, the 700 number is, is pretty loose. There's probably more. And it's not just bacteria, it's fungi, viruses, mm. uh, even some yeast cells. I guess the, the simple answer is that it's, it's, it's part of the gut microbiome. And we all know what that's like. To me, that's a, it's a health partner. We are super organisms. We can't think of ourselves of anything other than that. And the other big part of us, I, I always like to say our better half, is this colony, this e ecological community of, of commensal, symbiotic, uh, even pathogenic bacteria and bugs and, and fungi uh, that live in us. I mean, they share space with us. Yes. And the purpose is, I mean, it's becoming clear now. I mean, it, it's the gut microbiome is what, 12 years old? I mean, re references to yeah. it. And, yeah. And uh, oral microbiome, unfortunately, is kind of following following after the gut microbiome. And I always like to talk about it as one system. And unfortunately, we always kind of isolate we do. in medicine. And as far as practitioners go, dentistry has always kind of had this little niche area that the physicians refer to as the black box. And that's really what we don't want to be doing because what happens in the mouth, as I can explain later, it can happen throughout the body. So I think anything that the gut microbiome does, and we can talk about that, the oral microbiome is part of that. It's feeding the gut microbiome. It does exactly what the gut microbiome, but it does it in a different part of the body. It's a different niche. It's a different area. And so there are some differences, but 
if there's a dysbiosis in the mouth, uh, there's there's hell to pay. I mean, it's it's crazy what, what can happen. Yeah, I always say that the purpose of this podcast is to remind us as clinicians each week that all things are connected, we're each unique, and that everything matters. And what this tells us is how important the oral microbiome and the health of the mouth is. And we can think of it first and foremost as a barrier function because there's stuff that I'm sure the oral microbiome is going to help us deal with and prevent from getting further into the system. Would that be correct? Yeah. So to answer your first question, it is part, it is a integral part of the immune system, just like the gut microbiome. And I don't like to use, use the word barrier because the mouth is not mm, a barrier. It's mm. very open. It's very vulnerable. True. I mean, it's, it's the opening and the beginning of the alimentary tract. And it's different than deep down in your gut because that's a very closed, very pretty well controlled kind of ecological community compared to the mouth because the mouth is open. It's we're chewing food, we're putting in so many weird things and yeah. and bad foods, and and we're sleeping with our mouths open and drying it out. That's right. the first big uh, hmm. sign that there's a dysbiosis, that the pH change, and without saliva, the pH change is drops dramatically so into the acidic uh, area. So it is a barrier. It has to function as a barrier. We talk about the mouth as being leaky. A lot of homeopathic medicines are taken up through the floor of the mouth. Uh, there's a lot of permeability of the mucous membrane. Then you include the nose. Uh, the oral microbiome includes the nose, nasal passages, eustachians, esophagus, esophagus, um, down to the lower esophageal sphincter. So it's mm. a it's a very wide uh, area of things that if they go wrong, then you know you, you've got problems, inflammation, uh, hormonal changes, of course. Right. So it's complicated. I mean, we, then we've got the little areas around the teeth, the pockets. We've got we've got different. We've got a different microbiome on the tongue as opposed to the gingival sulcus, you know, the pockets around the teeth, because there's less oxygen in the bottom of the pocket than on the tongue. So it's a very complicated uh, system and, you know, even just discussed on its own, but it is so important. Yeah, it's so very important. And I love that you said it's not a barrier. I mean, if we think that about everything we put in it, and as you said, the pH also kissing what we put our right. mouths on. I mean, there's so many ways in which we're exposing the mouth to other sorts of bacteria. And as you said, yeast and fungi and what have you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, kissing is a perfect example. I mean, that is a sharing of someone else's biome and and that's something that you know people feel a little uncomfortable talking about but it is part of it so uh, the word barrier would be more likely it's kind of like a gate mm -hmm. it's like a it's like if if the system is working properly and that's why all these bacteria are here they are trying to regulate our health and keep out the bad stuff and let the good stuff in just like the gut microbiome there's really no difference other than what the mouth has to do differently to keep that that you know, biosis uh, in in check. And so, if yeah. we keep a if we if we think about the mouth and the oral microbiome as a gatekeeper, what are the things we do to help the gatekeeping? You mentioned sleep and the open mouth and the pH. I'm wondering if you could start us there in terms of what do we even do if we have a mouth breather at night on our hands. Right. Well, I won't get into why we are now becoming more of a mouth-breathing species. That's that's a rabbit hole. 
but it's one of the biggest factors in dysbiosis in, in the mouth. And that's simply because without saliva, uh, think of all the gastric juices in, in, in the gut. I mean, and there's really no opening other than the mouth, which is far away. So it's easy to keep the pH right where it should be optimally. Um, but in the mouth, it's different because if we do a lot of talking, if we are going throughout our day and breathing through the mouth, the saliva flow can't keep up with the dryness of all that air coming in. Of course, mm. it's worse when we're in very dry environments. And as soon as the pH drops, then you know pathogenic bacteria start taking hold. The anaerobe-aerobe uh, mix or ratio changes. Uh, you've got H. pylori in your mouth. I mean, right. we have a lot of bad bugs in our mouth. And if they become opportunistic, is the word we use a lot, or or just if they if they take over, if that ratio changes, again, it's just simply it's a ratio of the good to the bad bugs. Right. And that's kept in check with a stable pH, for example. Mouth breathing changes that drastically, especially at night because our saliva glands shut down. You know, it's part of the, the parasympathetic system. It shuts down when we sleep. And if our mouth is not closed, our mouths tend to dry out. So think of a dysbiosis due to pH change every single night you sleep and what effect that would have. The, the most obvious one, of course, is bad breath. That's probably the number one cause of bad breath. That's why people wake up with bad breath. Mm -hmm. Their mouth has been dry and certain bacteria have been able to take over. A lot of them have a like a, a sulfur type smell. That's one of their products that they're producing when they do take over. It's an interesting thing to consider. And the solution is very simple. If you can't breathe through your nose, so that needs to be fixed. You need to see an ear, nose, and throat. Right. Dr. B, if I think about uh, this in relation to a personal situation, those mm -hmm. on the podcast might actually know about my son who had a very severe deviated septum. He's right. you know at college now, and he can breathe through his nose, nose more now after he had that rectified and can't really believe how much he was not breathing through his nose and was breathing through his mouth. But he's wondered about doing things to help encourage more breathing through his nose. Is that right. something you advocate for to support that switch? Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm a healthy, good nose breather, but when I go to sleep, my mouth will fall open. Mm -hmm. And that's why mouth taping has really become something very interesting. It's a very simple and expensive kind of health tweak. And taping your mouth shut and breathing through your nose all night long would help your oral microbiome. Uh, it also increases the nitric oxide production, um, about 25% of nitric oxide production is produced by breathing through the nose. And again, those are the bacteria that are, are lining the mucosa in your nasal passages that, that do that. But they need that oxygen to pass by them to produce that nitric oxide. Mouth breathing is not conducive to nitric oxide production. Which is going to affect so many other things in the body, then, including our brain health. What yes. um, can we be thinking about in terms of our oral care that does support the healthy biome? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's really the, the, the big question. What are we doing now that is bad for the oral microbiome? What have we been doing all these years that is actually not conducive to nourishing the mouth, the oral microbiome. And it's it's shocking. It's toothpaste and mouthwash. I mean, all these products that uh, are bactericidal, that are designed to give you uh, better breath by killing bacteria, that's not what... It's like taking an antibiotic uh, right. for the gut. It's, it's not quite as bad, perhaps, although I've seen a lot of studies that say it is. We, we can't be using products that are trying to carpet bomb the mouth, you know, by 
trying to take down bacterial counts. Uh, because when the oral microbiome always recovers, but it doesn't always recover in the same ratio. You know, anaerobes and aerobes grow di at different rates. You've got other factors. You've got dry mouth. So it's important that your oral hygiene is done in a way that you are actually nourishing the oral microbiome, not killing it, not using alcohol or emulsifiers, uh, which are used in toothpaste uh, to simply just to produce large batches of toothpaste so that they mix properly. Uh, triclosan is a is a product that's, that's used in antibacterial soaps. That is, uh, until recently, uh, Colgate took it out of their toothpaste formula finally. But, I mean, this is what we've been using and right. thinking, and dentistry has been behind it. I mean, the American Dental Association, they approve these products. All these products are considered to be cosmetic, so there's very little regulation as to what's in your toothpaste. And back to what I said earlier, the mouth is very permeable. It's not only just coming into contact with the bugs in the mouth, but it's actually being absorbed into your system. I have so many other questions for you, Dr. B, just re in relation to even the surgeries that we have in the mouth and how that impacts <laughs> the oral microbiome. I want to make sure to use our time, and I'm thinking sure. I'm definitely going to need to have you back to talk about things like that. mouth taping and uh, the increase in the mouth-breathing species. When you're talking to clinicians that are not necessarily focused on oral health, in order to kind of break the silo that dentistry operates in, as you expressed earlier in our conversation, what questions would you suggest that we be asking our clients and patients about their oral health that would indicate that it's an area we might make suggestions around? Right. That's a great question. So to make that very simple, my daughter and I on our website, we have created this form. It's called the CRP Physician Letter. And we know that if something goes wrong in the mouth, if you have gum disease, if you're getting a lot of cavities, this is a form of inflammation. This is a sign that there's a dysbiosis in the mouth. And this is very common. I mean, gum disease is endemic. It's 60, 70% of the American population. Everyone seems to be getting cavities. Almost everyone gets a cavity in their lifetime. So these are very prevalent diseases um, and they can contribute to your overall CRP, for example. If you're a cardiologist, you're looking at CRP, you're trying yep. to get that down. Uh, just as an example, most practitioners do look at that. Yes. Um, so the CRP letter has been really helpful. It is a letter that you can download from our website, and I'll share the link with you. Yes, uh, we'll put that here. in the show notes. Yeah, and that letter is given to the patient that they can take to their dentist, and the dentist fills it out. And when the physician or the any healthcare practitioner gets it, they have an idea of what's going on in the mouth and how that is contributing to what they're working on. You know, uh, it could be, you know, cirrhosis of the liver. It could right. be diabetes, for example. It could be IBS. It could be rheumatoid arthritis. Yep. All those things are tied to oral health, even Alzheimer's. So. So that, that would be my short answer is just get that letter, keep it. And it's a great question because there's so little collaboration between dentistry yes. and physicians and other healthcare providers. And that long ago always bothered me because I, I knew that, that there was this connection. But if physicians don't consider it or if dentists don't consider that there's a connection between what they're working on and, for example, um, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, I'll, I'll use that example yes. again, then there's a problem. There is a, there's a problem for the patient right there. Uh, that's not the way we should be practicing. And, and that goes back historically to a disagreement that physicians and dentists had back, I think it was 1880. And they just agreed to separate at that point, which we, we've got to undo that. 
And this CRP letter, I think, accomplishes that. It's being used, it's in use by the IFM uh, doctors, practitioners, and uh, a lot of local cardiologists here in in my area, in the Bay Area. So I would just go to that letter. And if you don't understand it, it doesn't matter. Just have it filled out. There's an explanation. There's some links on what to look for. It makes it easy, that collaboration. Yeah, I think this is really brilliant. And one of the things that I think is so important is we could probably be practicing more preventative medicine when we are connecting the different ologies and really making sure we're clearly saying what we're seeing in somebody's body. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. B. So much wisdom. And we will be sure to link to the CRP physician letter and more on your website. Thank you, Andrea. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes music by my son, Gilbert Nakayama, and production support from Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode ready and waiting for you, head over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. We'll be sure to drop into your inbox with a really short reminder that a new episode is ready and waiting for you. Plus, you have an open invitation to email us. We want to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15-Minute Matrix. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 